Hello and welcome to Talking Tent, a podcast about movies, TV, and all the content we can possibly consume. I'm Zach. And I'm Irma. We are a married couple whose shared love of movies and TV cannot be contained, so we've decided to share our thoughts, opinions, cheers, and occasional jeers with the world. Welcome to episode 22, a massive one. Multiple series and season finales on television, plus two big summer blockbusters. We are actually going to split this into two parts because there's just too much to talk about. You are at, you are in part one, which we're going to talk all television, and part two will be just next in the feed where we're talking Fast X and The Little Mermaid. But uh, let's, let's start how, how we do now, and let's talk about what our, our lives I think we had a pretty normal week after a lot of traveling recently, and then we got traveling coming up, but we had a normal week. We saw two movies in one week. We visited a new restaurant in the neighborhood. Uh, there's been like five restaurants that have opened up in the last few months. We're big foodies, so we like to try everything. Uh, it was pretty good. Some highlights, some lowlights. Of the meal? Yeah. I don't know. The cauliflower was the best thing. Everything else was okay. Wow. I know you really liked it. Was it, a, it was a Japanese fusion right by, right around the corner. Uh, it was this... mostly French. I don't really think there was much Japanese in there. Uh, the curry was Japanese. The furikake on the, on the um, asparagus. It was like Japanese ingredients with French techniques. Yeah. It Anyhow. felt way more French. but Oh, and we came, just came back from France. Irma's over it. Uh, and You're then, mad that I didn't love this restaurant? No, no, it's fine. I just know when it's time to move on with my darling Irma. Uh, and we were watching Padma's show, Taste the Nation, which we haven't mentioned on this show yet. It is a, you know, another one of those travel food shows, but she does a better job. A, it's only in the United States. And she explores immigrant cultures within the United States, exploring, you know, the melting pot that is America and how these cultures have adapted or not adapted. And it, it's, it's good. I, it's really compelling stories. There was one in particular called the Borscht identity. It was about Ukrainians in America, um, which actually told basically the exact story of, of my brother-in-law's fleeing from Ukraine, from the Soviets. Um, and it just got me wondering about, I've always said that my ancestry is, Eastern European Jew and like never really thought about it beyond that or like maybe Russian. But I was like, wait, what? Because the Soviet Union and Russia for so many years was so extended throughout Eastern Europe. Europe. So like, where am I? Where's my family actually from? I don't even know. So I got curious about thinking about it and potentially doing a 23 and me. Then well, I've, now you have to do it. I know. Now I've been talking about it. I'm it. Telling, I've been talking about this with everyone. Also, my sister got on the case a little bit and asked our only remaining person from my grandparents' uh, generation, unfortunately, uh, which is weird that I never really got clarity on this, but his parents, so my grandmother's parents were born in Lithuania. So I'm a quarter Lithuanian that I, I've learned and I didn't even know that. So maybe we'll explore more and you'll, you'll join us on the journey of me figuring out where I'm from. And then let's talk just a quick industry hot goss so we had mentioned can was going on and last week's episode it has now concluded the palm d'oeuvre 
was awarded to Anatomy of a Fall, which is a, a French movie. Uh, so maybe a little bias there, but a French courtroom drama. The French always like to award the French. Yeah, that's well, that's two out of four. So mm-hmm. it's not like always. He has a courtroom drama which stars Sandra Hüller as a writer trying to prove her innocence in her husband's death. And it's actually only the third film ever to win the Palme d'Or uh, that was directed by a woman. So that's nice. Yeah, it's amazing. And Finally. Um, Neon acquired it before it won. But it turns out that Neon has acquired the last four Palme d'Or winners in Triangle of Sadness last year. Fine. Uh, Titan, which was also French, but it was like this crazy French body horror where this woman had a baby with a car. Really weird. Uh, and then the the year before that was Parasite, so that's obviously the that's the big winner for for them. So we'll see what they do with this movie. I imagine it's not going to be huge. It's a French courtroom drama. Uh, I, I bet it could get nominated. I feel like yeah, maybe as the like in foreign language. No, I mean Triangle of Sadness was nominated. True. I don't see but that why. That was mostly English. Yeah, I understand. Um, I mean the what was it? The war movie that was nominated. That was all in German. True. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, there's 10 now, so yeah. just to count it out this early seems silly. Yeah, we'll see. Can hasn't, isn't like exactly the biggest American influence, I don't think. People still like to talk about it, but the movies that come out of it tend to be Europe-leaning, which is fine. It's in Europe. Um, and then I think the biggest American one outside of, we talked about Indiana Jones premiering there as well, but the more traditional Can movie that's going to be bigger in, in America is called May-December, and it's Todd Haynes's new movie, Tom Haynes of Carol was probably his most popular recent one, even though that was seven years ago. Um, I'm not there was that really weird Bob Dylan movie that Kate Blanchett and a bunch of other actors played Bob Dylan uh, last year or two years ago, he did the velvet underground documentary that people liked. Um, but it stars Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. And it was picked up by Netflix. So this a lot of people are going like to see it. Super interesting. I think it's a cool concept. Um, Julianne Moore plays a teacher who essentially had an affair with a student, like a young, I think he was 13 at the time. I mean, it's based on real life events. If I don't remember the actual teacher's name. Um, and Natalie Portman is playing an actress who is going to be playing Julianne Moore's character in a movie. And oh, so super meta. Yeah, super even, meta. I didn't even look up what it was, what it was about. You, you guys know me. I don't love it. Um, but Sorry. That, <laughs> I just no, that's him, fine. But- uh, I saw just a headline that it's fun. Yeah, I heard which, it's like yeah. really funny. So that concept, um, which like, is an interesting way to tell this story because it is very problematic. Rough, yeah. But um, I don't know. I feel like the reviews are really great. So I'm kind of excited to see this one. And it'll and come right yeah. on our tubes. I know on Netflix. That's that's going to be awesome. And, and probably not that long. I wonder, well, if it's a real Oscar play, they might hold it. Uh, you never know. But yeah. yeah, we'll see. All right, we got to get into the meat and potatoes because we got a lot to talk about. We're sitting on the couch. We have five season finales, two of which, three of them are series finales. Succession, series finale. Marvelous Miss Maisel, series finale. Barry, series finale. Yellow Jackets, season two finale. And Survivor, we just want to talk about quickly because it was a really good season. So good. We were sneaking in at the end there. <laughs> Full spoilers for all five of those shows. So use the time codes in the description if you haven't watched any of them. But we are going to start, obviously, 
with succession. Let's start by talking generally just about the show. I think any discussion of succession now starts with where is it in best of all time? And I'm not a huge fan of real rankings like, all right, Sopranos is number one, which I actually, I don't personally think. But, you know, there's a pretty solid top five that's kind of just become like the gold standard to the point that it's almost a little boring. It's like The Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad broke in a little late, and Mad Men broke in later than those two. And then maybe, if you're being generous, I, I still think Game of Thrones is in there, even though people Absolutely. were pretty disappointed by the last season. That's okay. I think history will keep it. As like that was then the next generation. If the Sopranos and the Wire were kind of that first ten years, Breaking Bad and Mad Men were the next ten years. I think Game of Thrones is kind of the last decade, and then I think a lot of people thought Game of Thrones was the last zeitgeist show, and then Succession comes around. And although the ratings are nowhere near Game of Thrones, so I guess technically Game of Thrones maybe still is. The last, like even, you, you know, your grandma was potentially watching it. Everybody was watching it. Succession is still a lot more niche, but it's got to be, it's going to be discussed at least in top 10, if I'm being generous, maybe even right, like six right after those, if we made a top six ever. Yeah, I think that's maybe like TV critic brain. Sure. I loved the show. I thought it really did stick the landing. To me, this is probably one of the best series finales I can ever remember in my lifetime. Like, I didn't watch The Sopranos. I didn't really watch The Wire. And I, yeah, like I watched Mad Men. I watched Breaking Bad. But those feel like so long ago. So it's really hard to compare in my mind. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And then that. Brings us perfectly into best shows of all time is different than best finales of all time, because I would say that most of the shows that I just listed, so The Sopranos, The Wire, and Game of Thrones are not in top finales. The Sopranos one is very highly controversial. The Wire one, I think, is like kind of forgotten because it's just not that kind of show. Um, And then Game of Thrones, people were pretty mad. (laughs) So... Breaking Bad, I think, landed it. Mad Men landed landed it it. in its own subtle way. Like it didn't it didn't make you feel like the end the end of succession did, but Mm -hmm. Mad Men never really did. It did it ran in its own pace, and that's what made it so special. But and then I think for me at least, and I hope this doesn't fall out of the zeitgeist because it's been so long and very rarely talked about, but Six Feet Under is still an all-timer. Yeah. An absolute gut-wrenching finale that was just like perfectly honed to the tone of the show. And I think everybody understands that, but it kind of gets forgotten just because the show itself isn't as celebrated, even though I love it. Um, but what yeah. about Better Call Saul? That one just ended. Yeah, I think ago. Better Call Saul, everyone was really pumped about. And like, it, it was so beautifully done. I think what will, what will be remembered more about Better Call Saul is its incredible feat of of telling the same story for 13 years, mm-hmm. like from Breaking Bad into Better Call Saul. It is the only thing I can think of that has done it that well. Like normally you get to the 10th 
season of something, you get to the 10th iteration, talk about Fast X we'll be talking about later. And it's like much worse than what you remember. And the finale of that was arguably better than Breaking Bad. I just think Breaking Bad takes it as the original. It's hard to do like a, a spinoff or a sequel and, and say that was much better. I don't know. You always have well, to give credit prequel, back to Breaking Bad. Right? Sure, but then it goes past it. Yeah. It's a prequel and a sequel. But yeah, I agree with Irma. This was, it's an, it's an all-timer up there. It was perfectly paced. It was perfectly dramatic. It gave you a lot of false closure on yeah. things and then ripped your heart right back out. Yeah. Which is interesting but i think it really jives with how the show has has waffled and roller coastered with emotions and we could get into i think that will get into um one of my nitpicks that then the more i thought about it and the more i discussed with irma about it actually i'm i i think it works so we'll get to that when it comes up this was definitely a roller coaster of an episode like it really i don't know made you fall back in love with all of these characters I think we're going to just bust through like the main plot points while I was watching it. I kind of just wrote down as it was happening. And I think I'll just, the, the story beats of the episode, then we can discuss as it comes up. So it opens with Ken trying to get the votes to shut down the deal. He feels really confident about it. He's doing his whole business. Like he, his demeanor. I love when he switches like the demeanor to like big boss business boy. And he's so confident. And then like, that opposed to when he's just so down is incredible. And then Shiv is also kind of getting the votes on her side with Madsen. And we show, they show a conversation on the phone between Shiv and Tom and Tom or no Shiv is apologizing in her way and opening the door for them to be something again. And she discusses that like the trouble with some relationships sometimes is you don't know what the other person is actually thinking. And she said, we just told each other everything. So maybe we can move past that now. Like there's no more secrets. It's all out there, which I think is just a really great way of, of discussing that fight and the possibility of that turning into a stronger relationship. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's very hard for her to show real emotion. And I think she's always really loved Tom. And I think like her nitpicking, like I think it stems from obviously like her father and their, her family. And like that is how they show love in a really sadistic way. And like maybe Tom just like wasn't used to that. And like, couldn't really combat with her, I guess, as like she would have wanted. Um, but I think now, <laughs> this is so sad. She kind of sees that he can be toe to toe with her. And I think like that makes her fall back in love with him in a weird way. And so, yeah, like, not that I think this is the most healthy relationship, but I do think that they are kind of right for each other. And I think that'll be shown in the end of the episode. She yeah. does kind of side with him. And that's a, it's a great point about her. People like to talk about love languages these days. And this combats or reinforces the one thing that I do have a problem with that, again, we'll get to 
like these people just don't seem real sometimes in how the siblings interact. But that's a great point by Irma that like they can say and do these horrible things to each other, but that's like almost their love language because that's what they learned from Logan. Yeah, it's like every time they go to hug, they're they, it's like an awkward yeah. thing. They don't know how to do it. And they always make a joke about it when they're more comfortable just being the absolute worst to each other. And then within that conversation, Tom says something that is, is, a, is a great line and it's highlighted, but you don't realize that is the most important line of the show, if not the series, when you get to the end. He says, you don't like to fail a test, do you, Siobhan? And in that context, he was talking about divorce and like failing at marriage. But it is so much bigger than that. And it comes out at the end that I think that is the line mm. that she makes a choice at the end and she chooses her side and is the winning side. Well, because she made either side, she would have Sh- chosen. Sure. But in the. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're jumping to the end, but in the side that she chose, she definitely has way more power. Yes. Than just ceding to Ken. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, and we left Roman in the previous episode with his meltdown in the protests in Manhattan, getting beat up by the, the lefties. Uh, so we, we don't know where he is and neither of the siblings know where he is and really nobody seems to know where he is. It comes out that he's with their mother in... Did they say Barbados. Bermuda? Barbados. Yeah. <laughs> Another beautiful compound that they just happen to have in, in the tropics. Uh, so both Ken and Shiv go down there to sway him, ultimately. I mean, that, that's what they want. They want to make sure. Number, yeah. yeah. They want to make sure that his vote is on their side and being the opposite side. Uh, Shiv wanting to vote the deal through. And Ken, assuming they made this whole plan together of them taking over, uh, but now he seems to be waffling as Roman so often does. And then that leads to just some beautiful, beautiful scenes down in the tropics. Yeah, I think this is my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, which is so sad because it's false. I don't think it's false. I think it's like them like being kids like this is probably how they were acting when they were younger. And I don't know, like even the way Roman is dressed, like him in his like neon short shorts and like this like cute little polo. I don't know. He just looked like a child and like he goes home to his mom, you know, when he falls down. And I I don't know. There's something about it that just feels so like nostalgic in a way. Obviously, this is not my nostalgia, but I don't know. It's just kind of like they give each other a hard time, but they eventually like come together to like fight this um, foe that they have together. Um, and I think it's really sweet. And it just like, yeah, it reinforces their bond to me, at least, and like why they do love each other and that they are like they have these like, like you can see them doing this when they were younger. And I don't know. I just feel like it's not false. Not to me. at least. Yeah. So I, po- I suppose that's true. So while they're away from the business, it starts they're pretty harsh to each other as it always does. And the armor slowly starts to melt away. And as they're with their mother in an isolated place, they can open a window into what life could have been without 
this business and just be brothers and sisters. And they, I mean, Ken is still pushing for himself as he always does. Uh, he does it with a softer hand sometimes than sometimes because later on he does not. Other people are a bit more direct. But he essentially pitches like it can't be. Oh, no, actually, so a bigger plot point while they're down there. Madsen pitches Tom to be CEO because he just can't. He doesn't see Shiv. Shiv, I think, in his eyes is a bit too strong. And he doesn't want a partner, he says. He wants mm -hmm. basically a, like a mouthpiece. And Tom pitches himself as like, oh, I, I love pain. Like, I, I'll take all the shit. I'll take all the crap. And I'll just be your mouthpiece to continue running whatever the business is that you want. Well, I felt like Tom's pitch was so realistic to most people. I don't know. Like, and also, it's kind of funny. Like, the whole series, Tom is literally, and maybe Greg to an extent, is literally the only person that works. I mean, besides like maybe like um, Frank and Jerry and them. Yeah, but the you PR see people. Tom yeah. working. Yeah. You know, like. It's, kind of. But you know, you do. Yeah. You do. And then he says like he's up worrying all night, you know, like making sure that everything goes off well. And I don't know. There's something like endearing about him. And like. Like maybe in the moment, it doesn't sound like he's pitching himself that well, but he really is. And like, that's exactly what Madsen wants. And right. also in the beginning of the episode, they show this like vulture piece of like Shiv controlling um, Madsen Manson. like a marionette. And like, if that's how the other, the rest of the world sees him, like, obviously he doesn't want to like, I don't know, go get, have her be CEO. So I think it makes sense. But yeah. And then Tom, after Madsen leaves him kind of, implying that he's going to offer CEO. He goes and talks to Greg because Greg's sitting right at another table with his like little, was it okay? And Tom, I, I don't know. He says like he implies that everything's going to be good, but then he also nags Greg a lot, which I thought was an interesting choice. Maybe I'm just misreading the situation, but like he could have been more positive with Greg. And be like, I got you. We're good, disgusting brothers. And then the rest of this wouldn't have happened. But again, that wouldn't have been as dramatic. Mm. So, and then Greg gets this news. And I'm not sure if it was motivated by what I'm interpreting as Tom's like slight noncommittal to keeping Greg around. He says, you're going to have to take a huge pay cut, but you'll still be in the company. It's like a weird way to say you're safe. Uh, then Greg calls Ken. And tells him, like, it's not Shiv. Shiv is not the CEO. And then Ken tells Shiv in another, a, a moment of, yes, he's playing, but he's also being honest. Yeah, and I think, like, they've shown this of Ken. Like, him actually trying to, like, care for her and just be like, listen, like, I'm being honest with you. This is what's happening. Like, he doesn't have to tell her this, you know? Right. But obviously, well, maybe he kind of does because he wants her, her board vote um yeah it turns out he did need her vote yeah yeah i don't know but yeah this is just another we've talked about this a few times of like ken opening himself up and again none of these people are like endearing or wonderful but he opens himself up to the possibility of camaraderie and it is not until he was betrayed again and again and again and again 
that he turns into like the pretty vicious person that he can be or pretty desperate person, honestly. Um, so then that brings us to Shiv realizing that Madsen is no longer the play because she's not the power structure. And Ken pitches, well, like it can't be you, Shiv, because you are literally just at the side of this guy that you're now going to flip and say, no, we're keeping the company and the CEO should be me. And then he says, it can't be Roman because basically like Roman's a mess. He has a scar on his face. Like in not so many words, like we all see Roman is the, the fuck up in the family. The weakling. The yeah. weakling, unfortunately. And and they have this beautiful moment. Roman and Shiv talk. It's really funny. They talk about potentially murdering Ken. Yeah. And then they both finally do the Kendall impression, which like any fan of Succession yeah. has, oh, has tried to do because it's like just so specific. Like, the, uh, I mean, if you guys think that we could do it together, it's, it's you and me, it's you and me. And they both do it. And it just kills because like that's such a. That's like a very meta audience moment. Well, also, like to me, they're probably like doing this behind right, true behind his back anyway. You know what you mean? And so they just like wrote it in as like a funny like send off, you know? Yeah. Like and also, um, so another thing I do know is that this um Barbados scene, I guess, is the last thing that they shot. Mm. So this is like the three of them that together. And it kind of just feels like like they just all seem really happy. And I just, I don't know. I think that's also another reason why I'm just like so connected to this part of the the show. Just because I want, I so badly want it to work out. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, like, I'm almost like at this moment, I'm like, oh my God, they're figuring it out. They're going to make it work. And to me, like, it's a great plan. Shiv can take over ATN. Um, Roman could be head of social media. And and Kendall will just like run the company. No big deal. And to me, like, yes, they're doing it. They're figuring it out. I was so happy. I'm just like, yes, this is going to work out. Like, that's it. Easy peasy. Yeah. And I, so I took a note at this point. I was like, Shiv and Rome actually anointed Ken. I cannot believe it. And then next line is I have my guard up for sure. And Irma said something like that, like, oh, my God, they're finally working together. And I said, you fell right for it. I know. You I were know. so happy about it. I just it. really, I just, I don't know. I like to think on the positive, like, yeah, no, this course. is going to work. This is going to work. That's how normal humans should work. And also, it's we okay. have said, <laughs> and we have said that we want Ken to ultimately get it. True. We have said that. Like, to, he has been our main character, I think throughout this whole show and it's like so hard like you can see how desperately he wants this and like we fully see that by the end of the show and it's just like why shouldn't it be him like i know he did kill someone, <laughs> but like at the same time i don't know it's hard like these shows humanize these people like these are awful people like we shouldn't be siding with them but it's so hard like i do I don't know. Yeah, so so much humanization, so much just n normalizing them as humans again, uh, and it's all bullshit. But they watch a the the biggest reference to it being kind of crap, but also it being so beautiful is them when they go to, they seem to be all working together, and then they're going to Logan's old apartment that now Connor and Willa own to figure things out. And then it also turns out they're like getting rid of a bunch of the furniture, but they have a video. Well, that's why they're going. Yeah. The, 
the they're, fire sale, whatever they right. call it. Yeah. They have a video of Logan and a bunch of the the close older people. Yeah, I thought it was very notable that this was like a dinner and the kids weren't invited. And like Logan was like with like his closest friends and family and like Connor was there and they weren't. Right. Well, I think was, that's like super notable. It was presumably the the time before he died. Well, obviously before he died, but the time like in between kind of season three and season four where they just weren't. Talking. I know. I, I fully understand, yeah. but it is like notable. Oh yeah, of course. And, and like they're all like having fun and yeah. not talking about work and he seems much lighter yeah logan is like able to joke in his own way and he takes uh connor does like impressions of yeah, him and right he allows that and he's yeah. okay with it uh and again just like humanizing what we learned is like this evil evil dude i think it's super manipulative of jesse armstrong because like he's humanizing logan he's humanizing all of the kids and then like they're just gonna turn around and be like absolutely yeah. awful to each other again and it's just like like it really it's a gut punch yeah he gave you the nice finale yeah and then he ripped like, it just end it there <laughs> just end it there <laughs> well in this in that same time at the apartment tom tells shiv yes so shiv knows that madsen's there she's out on Madsen, but she thinks it's going to be just like some random, like a tech bro or someone else, another American, but someone outside the of the who, family who wrote the Vulture article. I think that's oh. something with an L. I forget Lawrence. his name. Yeah. But then Tom says it's him. And you just see like this anger come across his face. And they then both parties just go into DEFCON 1. Yeah. And they're like, all right, now scramble to make sure we have the vote. So Tom immediately calls Madsen, like we might have a problem here. Um, and then him and Greg have a fight. Yeah, Greg. It was scary. Greg does a little, they do a little beat up in the, in the bathroom. I imagine, you know, I kind of wanted him to hit him a little harder. <laughs> like it looked fun, but uh, I, they, they were definitely pulling punches. I needed a little more like Greg being like, or um, whatever the actor's name being like, no, really hit me. They didn't. Uh, and then we get to the board meeting. This is what it's all been leading to. The whole friggin' series. We've been here before, but this is obviously the end. And Ken. He doesn't make much of a pitch. Right. So Ken, again, is in that like boss business move. And technically he was right that he was like, we know the votes. Nobody's changing their mind in this room. Yeah. So let's just vote. And also, I just want to say, like, even before they got to the boardroom, they were in their father's office, the three of them. And you can just start telling, like, Ken was just, like, saying things, presuming things. And I think Sarah Snook is such a great actress. Like, she, you can tell so much by the look she has on her face. And you can start, like, seeing her, like, look at Ken a certain way and she's like almost like waking up to this like what are we doing right now he is such a doofus you know what I mm. mean like kind of looking at him and being like is he really gonna be doing this and then also Ken and Roman have a moment um where Roman's like well why isn't it me and he's like my the stitches don't look so bad like it could be me everyone's gonna think like like, why isn't it him? And so then, like, Kendall just, like, embraces him very hard and opens up his stitches. 
Yeah, Roman has a little, He, as Roman does, mm. he gets very rattled yeah. when Jerry enters, he, not even the room, like, but everything's glass. So when Jerry enters the space, uh, he becomes rattled. And he's, again, he starts, I think it's his, he just doesn't want to be the fuck up. He's tired yeah. of it. He's tired of it being like, like when, again, the pitch in Barbados, the, the reason why Shiv couldn't do it makes sense. Like she picked the wrong horse and now we're shifting horses. You can't just be like, oh no, now it's me. But his reason for not Roman is like not as concrete. It's more just like, well, it can't be you. You're a fuck up. No, and, but I think Ken is more of the fuck up than Roman, to be honest, I think. Well, sure. So, well, maybe not more, but equally. But I think his fuck ups are quieter. Like he, he shows. He's a drug addict. Yeah, but. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a whole statement that, like, I think Shiv put out either last season or two seasons ago about, like, how he's been on drugs and no one should trust what he says. True. I don't know. So it's out there. Yeah. So, like Irma said, Kendall soothes him, but also asserts his dominance with a a hug that presses his head so hard into his shoulder that the stitches open up. Mm. Meaning like, no, the stitches are like, this is not you. It's me. We've, we've made this decision. Yeah. And, uh, the one thing I did notice, cause I immediately looked at his, the left, sh- his left shoulder and there was no blood on his suit. Yeah. Which is like, I was like, all right, well, that's a mess up, <laughs> but they didn't yeah, want whatever. blood on his suit. Um, and then, sorry, then we get to the board yeah, meeting yeah. to vote. And Ken, again, like very confident. He's a big business boy. If he could have rapped, he would have rapped. If he could have <laughs> yeah. walked into Notorious B.I.G., he would have done it. He's got the votes. They go around the table. Roman is, is the second to last vote. He's hesitant, but he goes, yep. Like he goes, nope, no to the deal. Um, and then Shiv pauses and Shiv waffles and Shiv leaves the room. And then the explosion when the siblings go Oof. follow her and talk to her. This was one of the hardest scenes to watch. I Brutal. just couldn't believe the what was of, happening. The amount of times that we've said the Jeremy Strong Emmy reel is like literally every episode he has. I mean, I a, think all of them in this scene. It's sure. great. His is just so showy. Oh, and just the things that they were saying to each other. It was my stomach was like turning over. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Brutal. And Absolutely so Shiv. Brutal says what she says i love you but i can't stomach you yeah um and she finally brings up that he murdered someone then kendall lies about it saying oh, i just it was a brain dump like i just said it it, it didn't happen and like, i don't think they actually believe him That's and i think such a weird thing that was the thing that turned roman against yeah, a little him bit. no i think it was yeah. and then the, the just a, a line and a delivery that will stick with me that is just like so brutal to his own character is when Kendall is, well, A, he's just begging. And then he's like stomping his yeah, feet. Begging Shiv. Like, I'm this the is oldest all I boy. Am. And that line, I'm the oldest boy. And he's not. True, he's not. <laughs> and she says that. She's like, you're not. It's just like, it's so. He becomes gravelly. a 10 year old. They child. go back to being children. Yeah. And it's it was embarrassing for him. We always talk about being Team Ken, and that was like a really hard blow to Team Ken. No, and then was, Roman too, with like about uh, his kids. I thought that was so brutal. 
uh, calling Ken's kids like oh, not yeah. true. Um, yeah, and then Ken attacks him again. Yeah. Um, and then Shiv leaves to go vote. And another great line that sums up the show is Roman finally says, we're bullshit. Yeah. We're all bullshit. Like that's what our our audience and all of us have been saying. Like these three siblings haven't done anything. And we're talking about four years of who's going to take the reins. And like a back of our minds, I was always saying none of them. Yeah. Because that is the show. That is the show. Um, no one's going to be happy. Ken goes back into the boardroom thinking he can still work it out, but Shiv had already voted. She voted to get the Madsen deal through with Tom as CEO. Tom comes in all smiles, and she won in a really weird, the only way she could well, she's always been um, the woman behind the man. I know that sounds so um, sexist, but it's true. Like she was, um, I forget which Democrat, but like she was his advisor in like the first season. Um, she's done that with her father. She's done that with Tom. Like she's always the one who gives really good advice. I mean, she did it with Madsen at the beginning of this season with like all the numbers. Like she knows what should be done but she can't be the one to do it. It always has to be like someone else doing it. So I think like that is like not the best rule for her, but like she's, she knows what to do and she can do that with Tom. Like she can manipulate Tom to do what she wants. Yeah. So technically Tom won. Yeah. I wrote Tom on the throne. Unbelievable. It's, it's a theory that I think everybody who's watching had mold over. If it wasn't one of the three siblings, Tom was the more obvious candidate. Uh, I know you had said Greg, but I was like, there's no way they'll, that's like too bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom at least like makes sense. He's been the head of ATN, which is the thing that Matt's. I mean, he's the only one who works. Yeah. So funny. And do you remember in the beginning of the season where it was like Frank, Jerry, Carl, and they were like, oh, we'll throw our hats in the ring. Yeah. And then Tom comes up. He's like, oh, I'd also like to get in there. And they all kind of like scoffed and laughed at him. True. Yeah. That's so just really funny. It was always his. Yeah. And uh, I honestly thought my vision of the kind of closeout scene was going to be the Kendall face in the boardroom or something similar at the head of the table. Like he won, but he still had this, that, that horrible face, which they did show, but at the cost of nearly everything. Like he would have destroyed Shiv, Roman, potentially his own family, his kids. To get to that point. So like, I mean, yes, I think he, he won. kind of already did and he didn't even get it. Sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he killed his relationship with Roman. We'll yeah, see. I think he absolutely did. I mean, his Roman called his kids yeah. Ill, illegitimate. I don't, you can't they come said back so from many that. Worse things from that, that. Really? I think that's the yeah, worst. I guess, I guess that's the worst. And yeah, now I, I think that is the end of the siblings relationship. Yeah. I can't imagine. Ken ever forgiving Shiv. Yeah, I don't think they'll ever come back from this, to be honest. And then the final two shots of the show are Shiv getting in the car with Tom. Mm. Tom putting his hand out and Shiv accepting it. And then Kendall walking to the Hudson River and sitting down on a bench 
and we get that we get the Kendall face. Yeah, just like all is lost. Yeah, it's crazy because I mean, also like these kids are billionaires. Right. They'll be fine. Yeah, that is like the thing that to us is like, yeah, just let Ken be CEO. You'll both have jobs and still be billionaires. Yeah, <laughs> or even. You just sold your company. Now you can do whatever the hell you want yeah. and be billionaires. Yeah, yeah. So, right. These people are not normal. The the one nitpick, at first I said, so I said the finale was near perfection. Again, we just went through all the big plot points. It, it, gave, us, it gave us something beautiful. It gave us something horrible. It managed to sneak in really funny jokes, as it always does. Um, it was brutal and breathtaking about billionaires transferring their company. Like we should not care this much about these people, but it was so brilliantly written. My one nitpick, and then I kind of have an an answer for it was again, and I've said this before when we were discussing early in the season about them being so upset about Logan dying and like how these people just don't seem like real people. And the writers use their emotions to basically just take the story where they want. And then specifically in this episode, Shiv, where I just can't imagine three people having an interaction like they did in Barbados, where they were laughing and making smoothies and, you know, just being happy for the first time in four years. And then Later that day, basically, the next day, just ending their relationship because she didn't like the idea of him being CEO. Like that feels crazy. Yeah. And Irma, I, I brought this up to her while we were over lunch and she was like, I think that actually feels pretty honest to, to Shiv. And maybe what was happening in Barbados was, yes, her accepting that this is the way forward, but she still wasn't happy about it. So anything that she could do to change that isn't crazy. And she had waffled a lot all season. So even if I can't see it as real people, they, it, it still feels earned in the show because it has happened a lot. And then what I felt, going back to that line, of you can never handle failing a test, could you, Siobhan? In the moment, Ken being CEO was the only option for her. When she finds out that Tom is another option, first, she gets very mad about it. Then she realizes that actually, that is a better play for her. Yeah, and I also think another thing is, is like in the beginning, like it's easy to get very angry in the moment about what's happening and like feeling scorned and betrayed by Matson and then Tom. But the fact is, is like Tom is the father of her unborn child, mm-hmm. you know, like and she was trying to make her relationship with Tom work earlier in the episode. Like, yes, she's obviously very angry that it had to happen this way. But like also she's done this to Tom before, you know, and like they've done it to each other. And so it's kind of like, well, maybe if they decide, like, let's just be a team, maybe it doesn't have to be this way. I mean, that's probably too idealized as well. But I think maybe she chose Tom like she chose her 
nuclear family, you know, like maybe having some hopes that they could like the three of them um, be a family. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think like she's kind of lost hope with like her family. I mean, yes, it was a beautiful moment in the beginning of the episode. But I mean, you see like Carolyn, their mom calling their eyes like jelly in their heads. It was just yeah, like she's a weird. She's, she's, weird she's a terrible mother. <laughs> And it's just kind of like, well, seeing that family dynamic and like they're just holding on for dear life. And she's like, well, maybe I don't have to do that anymore. Now I should choose my family, like choose Tom. I think it makes sense. Yeah. When I thought about it that way, it it made sense. Another door opened and that door was better. Yeah. For her specifically. Yeah. Uh, You know, the choice between the two evils, it wasn't going to be her. Yeah. That became clear. I also think it was definitely hard for her. That's why she had to leave the board yeah. meeting. It was just like, it was a thing she just like couldn't believe she was about to do, but needed a minute to like say like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fuck over my family and that's it. And yeah. it's sad. And if there is one person, if there's one redeeming person in the show hmm. that isn't an all time asshole, it's Tom. Yeah. So he won. He won. Crazy. And also, I think um, another thing I just want to say is that they always talk about how Logan came from nothing and that he had to really work his way to build this company and that Shiv has always kind of looked down upon Tom about being kind of like that, coming yeah. from the Midwest, having nothing, marrying her. Because also, before Logan married Carolyn, their mom, he like Carolyn had a lot of money. And so, like, he married into her family and I, I assume used that and her connections to build his company. And that's exactly what Tom has done. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. I find that, like, parallel between Logan and Tom very interesting. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you was, did you see this whole, like, WAM scam thing on TikTok? Nope. So, apparently, I don't remember his first name. You should look it up. But WAM scam was a baseballer in the 1920s. And he was maybe the first or the only um, baseballer to do a triple play. Who says baseballer? Baseballer. Baseball player. Baseball player to do a triple play. By himself. By himself. Mm. And so maybe that's why he's called Wom's Games. Wow. That would be fun. I know. That would be an Easter egg if, it, if it's true or, and not just happenstance. Yeah. I wouldn't be but surprised. But it's been all over TikTok. Yeah. And it came out the day before um, the episode dropped. So I don't know. I thought that was a cool tidbit. All right. We got to move on. <laughs> yeah. An, an all-time show. An all-time finale. I can't believe it's over. I know. I'm I sad. can't believe we're never going to get. Uh, They're jokes. Like, they're just funny. Yeah. I miss them. An interaction in a room between Jeremy Strong and Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin. And you know what? I kind of feel, I'm like happy for Tom, the character, but I'm also happy for the actor. It's like, (laughs) you won, dude. You did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, because he's, you know, he's been things. He's been around. He's my Mr. Darcy. Yeah, I know. He's been like plenty, but like, this is obviously the biggest thing he's ever done. And like, he won. (laughs) He won. He's the guy. He's the guy. All right. We talked about succession for a little longer than I expected. So bear with us. Thank you for sticking around. We just had to. It's just, uh, it's such a great show. But we are now moving on to what I think is an underappreciated and underreported 
show whose finale series finale was also emotionally exciting and satisfying. And that is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We've talked about a few times on the show. It's first season was very highly celebrated. It won all of the Emmys. Rachel Brosnahan won. Uh, I think Amy it still Sherman wins a Palladino. lot of Emmys, though. I don't think so. No, I it think does. It was nominated last year. What's her face? Alex Borstein always wins. Yeah. So Alex Borstein was has won well, again the first two seasons, and then she's been nominated ever since, but not won. I just feel like it's it's faded from the zeitgeist. I don't know why. Maybe it did dip in quality a little bit. Last season maybe wasn't quite as good. And then even the beginning of this season, I did have my complaints, specifically about the 60 Minutes interview, uh, which turned out to be okay, although I still would have done it a little bit different. Yeah, I still would have done it differently as well. I think they could have hinted at her success and her future, giving us like the window into what is happening without like really laying out bit like bit for bit exactly what happens and how many men she married and how successful she was. Like there's ways to go around without being as specific as they were. But all that said, I thought the finale was very, very satisfying. And just a a few key plot points. They show Lenny Bruce back. I think Lenny Bruce is like a, her, her biggest mentor, her biggest advocate, but also potentially a love like a real true love of hers. So I like that they brought him back also because the actor does. So it's just, he's just so charming and compelling. Yeah, he's very good. And then Gordon Ford allows Midge to be on the show after finagling by, by Susie. Uh, and he hates it. He's real mad about it. Everyone's pumped except for Gordon, of course, but she tells everybody it's all been building to this. Like this is the break that we have all been waiting for, like her being on Johnny Carson, essentially a stand-in, uh, where many people in real life made their real breaks and became superstars. And we get to that moment, and he changes his mind, and it's just going to be an interview with a writer. So he doesn't even say her name in the intro. He just says, we're going to talk to a writer. It's going to be an interest piece. No, he says my lady writer. Right, the la- resident lady writer, which is ugh, it's so demeaning. Yeah. Um, and it's like gut-wrenching that she's not getting this opportunity. It's just, it's basically just like, here's a behind, behind the scenes look at our, my show. Yeah. So this is not about Midge. It's about my show and mm-hmm. me letting you in to the background of it. And then he even turns the camera to show the rest of the writers like this is specifically not about Midge and she gets all mad uh, She uh, then she actually starts to adjust as she always does mm-hmm. and say something funny even in the context of him totally sandbagging the interview totally like basically just taking all the credit and he immediately cuts it off he says alright we're going to go to commercial when they're not supposed to go to commercial and so that there's time left and the bid, the name of the episode is called four minutes and she has four minutes. They're going to come back from commercial because you can't, I don't know. You can't just like make shows shorter back then. 
It had there's a time slot and it has to be. So she sees the microphone, like a your classic stand-up mic that I guess they had there because the announcer uses yeah, it. Yeah. They showed that. Yeah. And you just see it. You see the twinkle. They make it pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But like I love that. That's one of the things that I celebrated earlier when we talked about the show is like it feels sometimes like a sports movie that like, all right, she has to make this play. You know, if it's a big shot, the buzzer beater in like a basketball movie or a boxing movie, it's like, all right, you got to get up for one more round. And they play it like that and they build it like that. And she gets back in the, the stool. She tells Susie, which was a beautiful moment, like, I'm going to do something that might ruin both of our careers. And Susie is okay with it. And it's just so beautiful. Like she knows Susie's career is moving forward and could potentially get bigger without Midge. Yeah. But like she is there for her. It's like best friends. Yeah. And so like that, the whole thing that they built earlier in the season of them breaking up is like, you just see how important they are to each other. So the breaking up was weird, but it makes sense. Like how horrible that was for both of them. And she just tells Gordon, it's like, oh, I'm not a writer. I'm here for com- as a comedian. I'm going to do a, do a set. And like in that moment, you can't just have the- the because well, the, the camera was right, back. The camera's on. The yeah. audience is, is there. Like he can't just be like, oh, no, you won't. Like that. It's just like he got, she, she trapped him. Mm-hmm. And she does it and she freaking kills. She does funny bits about her family. She kind of goes back to the classics that we've all seen before that she did in The Gaslight. Um, you know, a lot of about her Jewish heritage, her parents, Joel cheating on her, the kids. And then she turns it into this really motivational speech about women and not just accepting your fate and not letting people hold you down and being independent as like so well worded, which is exactly what I've been celebrating the, the Paladinos when they write something, man, can it land. Like we're talking succession being so well written. Mm-hmm. This show is also really yeah, well written. It it's, really it's is. It's not as brutal. It's not as, you know, whatever. But like when it gets to the heart of it, everything sounds so good. Yeah. And she and she's supposed to have just come up with this off the top of her head. No, I mean, she was practicing yeah, she was her practicing. set. But yeah, not the four minutes, I guess, is because she got her time cut. But yeah. And it just kills and it just feels like this perfect encapsulation of the show. We're rooting for her. I even, I wrote down, Miriam grabs the mic and takes her shot. That's fucking go. Like that, like what you would yell when there's one minute left in the, in the Knicks game of like, mm-hmm. you know, sports fandom or just like this thing. You're rooting so hard for it to happen. And she does it even so, even though we knew it works. And that's the one thing that I still come, keep coming back to. I still felt it. Yeah. I don't know. I felt like the 60 minutes definitely took away from that moment for me. I'm Slightly, not going to lie. Yeah. It definitely. So it, it definitely took away from will she fail or will she not? Mm-hmm. The one thing that I'm a little bit okay with, which kind of goes against my normal viewing of shows and such is like, I was watching it feeling that I could just root for her knowing that it does work. Yeah. You know, like it took away that kind of pit in my stomach feeling like I had with succession. I mean, like this is not what's going to happen. You know, you kind of knew already, even though it, I, I just like was equally as, as excited for her. Yeah. Um, and then the only reason I brought up the Lenny Bruce thing early and they kind of tie it all up 
is that she right before she went on the show, she looked at these lucky numbers um, and puts it in her bra. And you're not really sure what that is. Uh, I guess it like could have been from Joel because he had like the, the, the Chinese connection with his mm-hmm. club and you weren't sure what that was. Like it's also just lucky numbers. So it could just be randomly lucky things. Um, and then it turns out that a few weeks prior to that show, Lenny and her had dinner and Lenny was talking to her like, you're going to make it like you are yeah. so good. You're going to be more famous than me. You're going to be more successful than me. I believe in you. Like this is happening. And it was just like nice to show that she took that and that helped her among many other people around her, Joel in the audience, Susie by her side, her parents, like all of these people propped her up to become what she became. And then they cut to 2005 and it ends with Miriam being uber rich. Um, Like a slightly sad because she's in this massive apartment and alone. Like they definitely hint at not everything is perfect. But what they end with is a phone call with Susie, who's also in this massive apartment. No, not an apartment. A house. Again, somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah, somewhere beautiful. Somewhere gets compounds in the Caribbean. Um, And they watch Jeopardy together. And there's just a funny bit of them starting the VCR at the same time. uh, And they just like giggle and they're just laughing. And that that's how it ends. And again, we talked a few times about the show. Yes, it was about Miriam becoming successful. But it was really about the friendship between those mm-hmm. two women. And that is how they chose to. That was a closing scene as their friendship. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love this show. I'm definitely going to miss it. Good season series finale. Definitely not like as as far as succession goes, I would say like the final episode, I wouldn't say like is the best final episode, if that makes sense. But as a series as a whole, it's definitely going to be something I think about. Yeah, I think it just, again, it doesn't get the press it used to. It doesn't get the celebration from the critics anymore. Uh, I think maybe because it's a little too nice. Like people normally sway mm-hmm. towards these more horrible shows. But I think it, it just like constantly surprised me, which just with how effective and beautiful um, and smart it could be. Yes, it's and, very smart. And I'll just like, I'll always, cha- I will always champion the show. This will be like yeah. one of the ones that I'll keep bringing up, much like I often keep bringing up Six Feet Under. It's like, let's not forget about that. Yeah. Cause there's so much. And this was, this, I thought it was just a really special. And yes, did it wane sometimes, but every time it had to stick the landing, it always stuck the landing. Yeah. I also feel like it being on Amazon, like maybe it just got a little lost. Yes. It's not on like a major networker platform and maybe mm-hmm. like Amazon just wasn't doing the things it needed to do to really promote it like it should have. That's that's a very good point. Like Amazon really doesn't have a smash hit. I think the boys is their biggest hit, yeah. but that's like that's like a different kind. That's like playing on Marvel being really popular and just making like, all right, this is gritty Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really building up something uh, wholly singular, at least anymore. I don't know. Maybe. Because they did a great job in the beginning, and then maybe they just started concentrating on other things. But I really loved it. I love all the characters, and I'll miss them. Yeah. Miss Tony Shalhoub, for sure. Oh, my God. He just always had this, just the funniest little smart quips yeah. in the background. Like, sometimes his volume would be down, and he'd just say <laughs> these things, like, under his breath, and they'd be so funny. Yeah. Speeding right along. Next show that we have discussed 
maybe being slightly lower on than at least the, the well, you love the it. critics that we listen to. Yes. Everyone loves it, I think. I feel like I'm the only one who's maybe lukewarm on it just because like the subject matter is just tough. <laughs> well, I'm I just like there's we're kind of doing this in order. So like succession is top tier. I really loved Maisel. Barry is like was a perfect was very good. Yeah. But I I I don't I find it nowhere near maybe not nowhere near. It was really good. But there's just like something about it that I just don't feel there was one moment that my mouth dropped open, but it, and then I was like, wow, like, I can't believe they did that and they did it so cool. But like, at no point did I feel the emotion of the show. It's like, it's a very cold show and maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is like, um, not an assault, but definitely like an indictment. Is that the right word on Hollywood and what it does to you? I mean, this is. Yeah, written, it's partially. directed, it's created, the lead actor, it's all Bill Hader. This is from mm-hmm. his head. And I just, I find that actually truly amazing that he's able to do all of this. Like, I can't imagine how hard that is. Um, and what he was able to accomplish, I think, is really great. And you can just tell in, like, all of the actors, when they, like, have interviews, they always, like, praise him. And, yes, maybe that's pretty typical, but, like, I don't know. I just feel like you can really tell like how hard he's worked on this. Um, and so I give him a lot, a lot of credit for that. Um, yeah, you have to, it, it really is good. The, uh, yeah. The only reason I, I waffle a little bit is cause it doesn't hit me emotionally, but I think that's fine. Yeah. I think that's okay. And some of it I is I don't think so you're meant smart. to. I, I think like you're not really supposed to yeah. like any of these people. I a, mean, it is like, a very cynical, yeah, very cynical show. Like, I also think, like, Bill Hader's character, Barry, like, I think he also kind of hates that character in a weird way, which is crazy to say, because, like, with Succession, like, those characters are all so humanized, and you really feel for them, even though they're terrible people. And, like, Barry is a terrible person, way even more so. And I feel like the fact that we don't like him and don't feel connected to him is a good thing. Yeah. So just just some quick we'll do some quick beats of the show. Nothing crazy breakdown. One one thing I loved was it opens with him just walking into Walmart and saying guns and he walks out with these assault rifles over his back through the toy section of like And a, no a one even gives Walmart. him a second glance. Yeah. It's just like such a funny indictment the word that you used of just like America. And this like bullshit gun culture we have that you could do that. Uh, so like, yes, these there's so many smart, funny moments. Yeah, that there he really still are. Weaves in mm-hmm. just like pretty brutal story. Um, and then we we talked about that the police now think Jean killed Janice Moss and the, her dad thinks that, too. And they actually think that he manipulated Barry to do it. Uh, but it was really all Jean's idea. And then we have the standoff between Fuchs and Hank. Which I guess feels a little forced. Yeah. That they were like feuding. I'm not really sure why. It was like basically because Fuchs just wants Hank to admit that he killed Crystal Ball and Hank isn't going to say that. It worked. It worked, but it didn't like it didn't feel so natural. It didn't feel super earned. I have to say it just felt kind of like "Eh, we need everyone to die. So this is a way to get them all to kill each other. Yeah. (laughs) And like. Fuchs killing 
Hank felt forced. And like for Hank, arguably the best character on the show. Not arguably, you know, like the best. Yeah, Barry yeah. is Barry, Barry and Gene are obviously the centers, but like Hank is was just such a scene stealer. And I I love the way he died. I love the the final scene of like yeah, he's super just so hokey. dramatic. Yeah, yeah and like him grabbing Crystal Ball's the metal hand of the statue. Yeah. Like that totally worked, but like for it to be Fuchs in that situation, I don't know. Like the Fuchs, that rivalry only happened within the last few episodes. Very yeah. similar to like them just forcing a son in the story. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, all right, we get that you feel this way because of this one thing, but like we've also had three years before this to to build out potential other solutions. Um, like if Barry had to do it, I don't know how they would have done it. Well, because he had. Sally and Jonathan, his son. Yeah. So like, right. that's like, that's a really I easy think, way for him to do it. Yeah. I think that's. If Barry had to kill them both, but what, but what was, so that all being said, when Barry shows up with the assault rifles on his back to kill everybody, he said he pr- does a prayer to God that he's okay with dying just to save his son. And then he doesn't have to do anything. And Fuchs just has the son and gives it to him is really funny. I, yeah, and like, I agree. Really, so like he did, he made us a little annoyed on purpose just to have Barry's mission be so useless. Yeah. And like, again, it's so, it's really cool. If yeah. you really start to break it down like that. So the crews all kill each other, except for Fuchs who lives. Somehow. Sally tells Barry to turn himself in when she finds out that the cops are going to, accused Gene and Barry says he's not going to do it because he's been redeemed in the eyes of God because <laughs> that prayer again the prayer that he gave getting out of the car with the assault rifles him being ready to die and him living and not having to do anything was his redemption in the eyes of God for all of his sins now he convinces himself of this because he's bullshit um, and then he's he goes to try and find Sally, assuming she's because well, she leaves. He wakes up in the morning and she's right. gone. She took Jonathan. She's gone. And he goes to Jean's mm-hmm. thinking that she's there mm-hmm. and she's not. And uh, Jean is with. His lawyer. I forget his name. He's so funny, though. Yeah. And he is just like bemoaning his life. He has a gun and it. It looks like he's going to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of like, I guess, submitted that he's not getting out of this situation. But like in the the classic Gene way of like, oh, woe is me. You know, like he kind of just gives up, but in a very dramatic way. Well, also right before he fires the gun, Barry is like saying, I'll turn myself in. It's fine. Right. Like, you don't have to do this. Right. So Barry shows up to the house. Yeah. And he's talking to the lawyer. And the lawyer and like, yeah, he Barry is about to say, I'll turn myself in. Whatever. And as he's doing that off camera. A shot goes off and it it's we see that it's into Barry's heart chest area. And he sits down and he just says, oh, wow. <laughs> and Gene shoots him straight in the head. Mm-hmm. And like that is when my jaw dropped of like they didn't like draw out the death. It was completely out. Well, not out of nowhere, but like completely shocking, instantaneous. Like he said, just the stupidest little quip of like, what would you say when someone's about to shoot you in the head? Like, Oh, wow. Like I didn't, 
Like, <laughs> yeah. wow, you did it. Like, I don't yeah, even yeah. know. Like, I was not expecting yeah. this. Like, yeah. nobody was expecting it, at least at that moment. Like, I yeah. guess we all thought the only way for this to go is for Barry to die. Mm-hmm. Like, not like that. And it looked like maybe he'd give himself up. Crazy. Like, that part I loved. I was shocked that that's how they took him out. Gene sits down on the couch. And now you kind of know that there's just no way he's getting out of what the police have on him because there's no longer anybody that can tell a different story. Yeah. So now we're just like, yeah, all right, Gene is gone and he understands that and he seems okay with it. It's like, this is just, he has nothing left, but he got rid of Barry. And then it hard cuts to, we presume several years later, somewhere cold, Sally is directing a high school play and the son is... um Is older. I would say maybe like... 13. Yeah. No, a little older than that. Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. John, the son, just very nicely asked Sally, can he sleep over his friend's house? Total normal teenage interaction. And um, then as she leaves, the friend is like, are you ready for this? You think it's going to be like, they're going to go do drugs or something horrible. And then it just turns out that he wants John to watch the movie that they made about Barry and Gene. But it's not like a movie. It's like a lifetime. Oh, awful. Like recreation yeah. of a movie. You know what I mean? Like we've all seen those and they're terrible. Yeah, a really bad recreation. And the key point being that it was completely misrepresented. And they went with the story that Gene was the mastermind. Yeah. Gene was evil. And Barry was the hero. Hero. Trying to stop him and died yeah. in the process of being a war veteran who had his troubles, but was ultimately heroic in his attempt and like, that's what the son got to see. And that's how they ended. Just him showing the face of the son, seeing Barry as a hero and not how he actually was. Yeah. Which is nice. I know. Yeah. It's not like the worst, you know, because then it's kind of like you also kind of have hope for John that like he won't be terrible. Like Barry was yeah. terrible and delusional, you know, I mean, do you kind of hope that like. John's life is better. And also because like Barry was raised by Fuchs who basically taught him how to kill and all of that stuff. So you just hope that, yeah, John goes down a different path. Yeah. So three pretty satisfying conclusions, I think. Yes. Even if, if, we, if I had to rank them, at least I put Barry the lowest just in general. I think Maisel just hits me a different way. It's more personal to me. Um, and then, but then Barry is so clever and smart in so many different ways. Yeah. But really good finales all around. Yeah. I just, um, knowing how much Bill Hader put into this, I'm very curious to see what he does next. Um, I takes feel a year like, off. <laughs> yeah, it definitely takes some time, but like I could see him like doing a movie, kind of going down the, um, Quiet Place route. What's his name? <laughs> John Krasinski. Yeah, John Krasinski. Or I don't know. I'm sure he has some crazy ideas. And Barry, this was what, four seasons? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he spent so much time doing this. So, yeah, who knows? I feel like it could be cool to see just like a movie or yeah, something. Yeah, he's obviously a brilliant dude. Yeah. He's written for South Park. Like, he's he's on SNL. He's cut his chops in so many different ways and then wrote this very dramatic but very funny show. Mm-hmm. It's like, if, yeah, a two-hour movie of just like whatever's been ruminating in that mind yeah. could be really cool, really mm-hmm. fun. So from three satisfying series conclusions, 
to a season finale that left us lukewarm at best. At best. Sure. Yellow Jackets season two, a show we've talked about a bunch. We were breaking down episode for episode for a while. Is good, but falls short in so many ways that it's it's disappointing because there's something there and it just leaves us wanting more and just better execution. And the finale, once again, like the last three episodes, we felt more and more like this is kind of stupid. Yeah. Well, I think the main reason why we think that is just the adult storyline. Mm-hmm. It's just... The more I watch it, the more I'm like, this is like two completely different shows. And I just really feel like there's just a lot of fat here. Like this should have just been a lot shorter. Like give us maybe like seven good episodes or make them all like a half hour rather than an hour. I don't know. I just don't feel like it just got ridiculous. Like the kids store, like the teenage storyline when they're out in the woods. That is great. Like it is truly great. Yeah. And I don't understand what is happening, why they can't do that with the adults. I truly, I just don't understand. I don't know if it's the actors. Because the mystery is gone, kind of. Yeah. Or like 20 years of just growing old. But yeah. So the the opening was, I loved it, brutal. When uh, Travis sees the body of Javi. Mm -hmm. They once again, which we talked about last episode or previous episode, they once again hard cut to the adults like breaking all the tension we have travis crying over his dead brother's body and like let us sit with that feeling let us sit with that give give it to us and they just like immediately switch to the adults then they cut back and it's shauna preparing the body to cook and she she like again like we talked about shauna being like this fierce leader and taking over butchering their friend by herself preparing the body to cook and knowing exactly and what to do yeah, like, like drain the blood at first yeah. i was like i was thinking i was like you have to drain the blood and take the organs out because then you can't really eat it yeah uh, and they do that and like again a really effective scene of brutality and then it cuts back again to like misty just like running around the camp trying to like find something yeah and it just felt we keep coming back to this. Like they just didn't know what to do with the adults. And like, exactly like you said, it feels like two different shows. Like there's one of like this, you're a dark, twisted, traumatic coming of age tale. A la Lord of the flies. And then the adult storyline is like a goofy, Scooby, Scooby doo esque caper in a way. And like maybe they can both be good, and even some of the adult scenes are good. Yeah. But then even within those scenes, they'll they'll introduce another character that'll just ruin it. Like Elijah Wood with the cop was really compelling, but then Jeff comes in with the cop in the same scene, and you're like, "This is stupid." I know. I kind of <laughs> like Jeff to be honest, but yes, he's in yeah, a different like a, show. Yeah. Because he's a goof, and yeah, he I feel like goof. he adds like a laugh, and like I'm fine with a laugh here and there. Um. But yeah, I don't know. And like, I actually really love Elijah Wood in all of his scenes. Oh, he's great. And like somehow he knows how to like do all this stuff too. I mean, I guess maybe that makes sense because he's like a citizen detective. So maybe he would know how to like kill someone and not get caught. Well, he's also had a lot. So since playing Frodo, he's basically only played psychopaths. (laughs) 
So like he's got a lot of chops of playing a psychopath very honestly. So like, yeah, him, him works. Some of it works. I think Misty works. Misty is so good. But the mo the rest of it really just doesn't work. Well, also it didn't make sense. Like, okay. So in the beginning of the adult storyline, Lottie was basically like, okay, one of us needs to die. And so the rest of the women are like kind of, feeding into that saying like, okay, yeah, Lottie, all right, let's, let's figure this out. Let's do it how we used to do it. Kind of like, um, feeding into her delusions, but then while on the side, like, or all right, maybe she's right. Sure. But they're like, oh, we're going to call like a hospital and get them here. But then all of a sudden Van just changes her mind and then doesn't really tell anyone else that. And it just doesn't really make any sense why she would change her mind. And I don't know. And then they have, um, the young girl Nat becomes close with and then uh, adult Nat in the in the camp. Yeah. And then um, who's Shauna's daughter? Callie. Callie. All of a sudden they show up at separate times and they both have guns and then they're both like trying to like protect their yeah, ally. Nat and Shauna. Yeah. It just like doesn't really make sense. I'm just like, why are these girls here? Why do they both have guns? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So the overarching theme of the show is, is there, is there not a spirit that is guiding all of these actions? And as in the teen storyline, it's quite clearly defined. It's very intimate. Lottie believes it. Nat doesn't, but maybe she's swaying uh, and everybody's kind of buying into it. And then even the, when Javi dies and like the, even the, the wilderness chose trope, I think works. Yeah. I actually really like, like it's that. It's still allowing, yes, it was a fluke occurrence, but was it? And I'm fine with that. I love that actually. It was like, yeah. is it supernatural or is it not? And I love that it's Nat who essentially is the one who's right, chosen. The, right. And I feel like that is so compelling because she's the one who's been like unbelieving. The, the unwitting queen. Yeah unwilling queen yeah and also she just didn't believe in all of this you know and i just yeah i love that it's her so then when lottie brings it back up i'm okay with that in theory but i think they've just done such a bad job with the adult storyline exactly like you said there was so much fat like we could have gotten to a place where all six adult women are in a place together where they have to make this choice and they think they might have, or like one or two of them or whatever, like still believe that one of them does have to die. Mm-hmm. And that could be as compelling as it is with the teens, but it's wrapped up in this murder plot line that really didn't need to happen. It's like your husband was blackmailing you. So you killed this artist and now you're fine because the cops are dumb. And then we have this cop that's been hitting on your daughter. And like. And then that, they kill the the other cop. Yeah, they kill all the cops. Like there's two. No, they much. only kill one cop, but it's just like. Or right, then he pins it on the, yeah. the, the younger one. And it just didn't. Like you said, it could have been so much convoluted. shorter. And yeah. much. We concentrate on the, the teens mm-hmm. and we throw snippets of the adults and then we come to a similar conclusion with the adults which could have been as compelling but the adult storylines felt so stupid that it totally lost it yeah yeah i think that's the only reason why i'm i'm lukewarm on the show it's just yeah. because of the adults like 
the teen storyline is it's the really best. Good. If it was just that, like this would be one of the my favorite shows, I think. Yeah, and I brutal. don't like horror and like brutal things like that, but it is so good. Yeah, I keep thinking of the It franchise. It's very similar. There's no way around it. And I can't believe I haven't said that before. It's like kids fighting a demon mm-hmm. and then the demon coming back as when they're adults and them having to come back together to defeat it again, even though they thought they did as kids. The, in that case, there's like definitively an evil spirit and definitively as adults, but like it's just more contained. And like they could have followed that same thing. Like we still have to defeat this because it's slowly killing all of us. Lottie's in the mental institution. Nat wants to kill herself. Shauna should be happy with a beautiful, normal life and isn't. You know, Misty is like a literal psychopath. She's a serial killer. Yeah. So, so they, they, and like Van is dying. Yeah. Quite literally. Mm-hmm. And Taisa is going crazy. Like they built all of that up, but bogged it down with so much crap. Yeah. Like the, the cop storyline and just like all of it. All these extra people. Yeah. yeah like that was enough. Show us their lives not being good. Yeah. And like somehow it, they come together. I just feel like they didn't need to bring in all these like extra characters. Exactly. There's already so many characters. Like yeah. You have, you have 12 leads essentially. It's the young versions of each and the older versions of each. And then there's more. Way yeah. more. Way more. So Too yeah, many. They should have just simplified it and sh- it would have been so much more effective. I know. I really hope they take their time with the next season and really try and like figure out where it's going. I mean, they say they know where it's going, the creators, but it doesn't feel like it if i'm being honest or maybe they don't have it fully mapped out they know where it's gonna end but i don't know i just feel like i really need them to figure out what the adults are is is going on there (laughs) yeah and then uh, bogged down in in all of this madness we forgot the biggest part that misty killed nat oh right spoiler alert yeah um which again i thought that was very compelling that worked like that happening worked. How it happened, it's not as effective. Like, so, like, all the plot points are there and all the beats are there. They just added so much crap that it feels silly. Mm-hmm. And this show about girls eating each other, growing up to be completely fudged in the head, shouldn't feel silly. Yeah. So we're sticking with it. Now, cautiously, cautiously, it could be one that really falls off. Like we ended up stopping watching The Walking Dead, where at one point I would have said, man, that show rules. Yeah. And eventually it's like this. We're just doing this again. Mm. Um, and it's still on. They're making a whole nother spinoff. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm hoping. I'm hoping because the pieces are there. And finally. Now to uh, Woodland Irma- Survivor to Beach Survivor. <laughs> True. Irma loves her. We got to give a little, little shine on the reality. Yeah. Survivor season 44 ended on it was Wednesday. Great. This was a great season. Agreed. I had been saying, okay, so we're going to spoil it. So if you don't watch Survivor, don't want to know who won, stop listening. But I've been saying this is Jam Jam's to lose. And I was right because he won and he, I think, fully deserved it out of. A lot of the people that were there, like I think Carson was the favorite out of a lot of the people who were still in the game, which I was 
surprised by. Um, I thought Carolyn had like a good play there, even though she didn't get any votes, which was disappointing. But yeah, Jam Jam was just the best. Like, I absolutely love him. Yeah, Jam Jam and Carolyn were such good television. They really all were. Year. And we said that from episode one, episode two. And I was like, there's just no way that they're making it till the end. But they're so captivating. And like, part of me is like, they manipulated the game to make sure that the two best characters made it till the end. Yeah. They did. But I don't, I really don't think they manipulated it. I really don't think 44 seasons in, Jeff does that or any of the producers. But yeah, I agree. So we now I've watched four. We've watched four seasons live yeah. since kind of a bunch of our friends and us picked, picked it back up during, during the pandemic. This is easily the best season of those, the last four. So 40 to, or 41 to 44. All the other ones felt like the winner was like, ah, I was like really disappointed every yeah, time. Yeah, me too. Maybe Gabler was like, all right. I wasn't mm-hmm. mad about that. The other two, I was like, come on. Yeah. Uh, and then this one, yeah, Jam Jam. He was so fun, so compelling, so nice. And he won. Yeah, and he actually really deserved to win. I mean, he was controlling a lot of the game. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy that the person who was playing the hardest socially and, like, who outwardly deserved to win actually won because that hasn't happened in a while. Um, yeah, I love the show. Uh, yeah, I think the... I think had it come down to Jam Jam and Carson, because they were like, again, we always know that like they edit things to in a certain way that they want you to think. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like on the island and with some of the some of the jury, like they really thought Carson was the front runner. Mm -hmm. I still think had it come down to them having to discuss against each other, Jam Jam convinces them that like, no, I let you think that Carson was the mastermind here. Yeah, I mean, me. he did say so that. So I think he wins anyway. Yeah, I think he wins anyway as well, for sure. Um, and I think Survivor, what, 45 is coming in the fall. So yeah, I'm excited right to see that. To yeah, I kind of was hoping that they'd bring back return players for this one. But whatever. I don't care. I'll still watch it. Yeah, you'll have to wait <laughs> two and a half years for them to get to 50. Right. And maybe 50 they'll have returners. Yeah, I mean, they always do every every so often. So. All right. Another great season of Survivor. Now what do we do with Wednesdays? Oh boy. Well, if the Excitometer has anything to say, seems like we're going to be going to the movies a lot. That is it for all five finales we watched. Thank you for sticking around for so long. If you want to hear more of us, we talked about Fast X and The Little Mermaid. We saw them both. Interesting thoughts on both, I think. In part two, which will just be next in your feed. So go ahead and listen to it. Thank you, Craig, for the production assistance. And thank you to John Welsh for our intro and outro music. Subscribe so you know every time we post a new episode. Follow us on all the socials at Talk Intent. And email us any of your thoughts, opinions, cheers, or jeers to talkintent at gmail.com. From our living room to yours, what do you want to watch?